Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for those speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Jane. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I'm Jane, recovering compulsive overeater. Very grateful. Hi. Hi. And um, wanted to thank Lucy for asking me to speak today. And I wanted to thank everybody for um, keeping this room safe, you know, for Tradition 12, because without that I wouldn't be able to open my mouth and I would continue to stuff my feelings and die a compulsive overeating death. I was born in... Yeah, I just felt like by the time I was born in foreign country, by the time I was three, I'd already felt like my life was unmanageable because uh, I wasn't perfect or because my life wasn't perfect or my parents weren't, you know, so there, but um, I didn't tell anybody that's how I felt. And uh, I think that's, um, I don't think I made a conscious decision to turn to the food, but that's because I, this is my disease, so that's what I did. Um, I have a conscious memory of picking up my, bottle, I don't know why I was still using a bottle when I was between three and five years old, but picking up a bottle from the trash the next day after I think my dad and my mom had thrown it in the trash. So I was already eating out of the trash at a very young age. Um, And, you know, just taking everything onto myself, even at a young age, like um, my grandmothers were jealous of each other. I think Maybe one asked me which one I love better from the other. Anyway, I remember stuff like that just because I remember how much pressure it was and how I felt like a failure for not being able to give the perfect answer. And throughout my whole life, before I came in here, it was all about being perfect. Um, the weight started to show on my body pretty young, five. You know, I'm Chinese, and um, I was already looking different from my peers. Um, as a culture, most of the women are naturally thin. I don't know how they do it, because that's not my experience, but, you know, they are. And um, so from a very young age, I remember people asking me, why are you fat? I mean, it's like, I don't I don't know how to answer that today. I don't, you know, I wouldn't be able to answer that as a kid. But um, I would ask that myself, like, why am I not the same? And the only way I can make myself, I don't know, I don't even know if it's to make myself feel better, but... Whenever anything happened or I felt something, I turned to the food because that's the only thing I knew how to do. I never told anybody these feelings, I don't think. I, I don't know why I never felt like I could tell my mom or my dad. Maybe I just felt in my own self-centered head nobody could help me. So I had this whole feeling of despair. Nobody understands me. I have to be perfect. I don't know how. That kind of unmanageability just... Um, you know, it was, all, it was with me until I came in here. And, you know, I was, by the time I think I was um, 10 or 11 years old, or maybe 13, I was already twice as heavy as most of my classmates. And for my classmates, it was hard for anybody to fathom somebody weighing more than 54 or 55 kilos. But I was way more than that. I was like at my top weight junior year in high school, it was like 98, which I think translates to 217 pounds. That was my top weight. So there was no hiding what the disease had done to me. And um, besides my grandmother, who tried to get me to lose weight, 
um, nobody else really said much, you know. And, I, and I'm grateful to my parents for not really pushing me, but maybe in their own way they kind of knew it was something beyond anybody's control. Um, they probably thought once, you know, I came back to the States for college, things would kind of resolve itself. Um, my experience, it did not. Um, I continue to... Oh, I'm a senior year of high school. I uh, want to look good for the prom in my whatever way. You know, I didn't have a date. I mean, one thing that I totally denied myself was any kind of uh, expectation or any hope. There's no way I was going to have any expectation. Any hope of, re- of dating a relationship. And I thank God for putting me in a country where back then um, it was totally acceptable to not be, to not have a boyfriend until like you're ready to get married. So, you know, could use that excuse. I didn't have to feel bad because everybody had a boyfriend. I did it. I just, you know, kind of went with the flow. But deep inside, like, how am I ever going to marry anybody in this country when I am so fat? You know, that just kind of went with me. And, um, you know, 12 years later, I still cry because I just feel like, why didn't I just tell anybody these things? Why did I have to hold it in myself? You know, and it was just my journey. That's the way it was. But, um, you know, I'm full of gratitude because through program, I know that I'm capable of listening to my children now if they don't want to tell me anything. And that's really a blessing because I don't want them to feel like there's no way out, that they can't tell anybody anything. And... um Lucy promised me that if I cry for 20 minutes, it's going to be okay. So. <laughs> anyway, I did lose some weight on the Starfield diet. It one of the few diets that made it over to my country. Um, and then college was yo-yo dieting. It was losing 20 pounds, gaining 20 pounds. But even after losing 20 or 25 pounds, I mean, my tolerance for dieting is only eight weeks. So if anything's after eight weeks, I just start bending my way back. Um, and, you know, I think one of the reasons looking back is I did not feel any different inside. You know, just because I lost some weight did not take away my lack of self-confidence, my self-hatred, you know, just the whole, my sense of hopelessness and despair. Just losing weight did not take care of that. So, of course, how could I live with myself after that? The only way I knew how to live was binging. So I just ate my way back, plus more. So that happened for many years. For some reason, um, when I moved to L.A., I met a guy that I was very interested in to the point where I was willing to, um, you know, let the results go to God. Because I come from a culture where you're supposed to marry your first love, I mean, or get a, you know, arranged marriage. So for me to like somebody without expecting results of marriage is, you know, big. But I remember then, even though I hadn't come into always, I'm just going to let this one go to God and see what happens. So I ended up marrying him, which is great, but it wasn't, you know, I think if I had set out to do that, it would have been a disaster. But um, for some reason, God um, brought him into my life, and I thought, oh, great. So now I will finally be cured of my disease, you know. Marry the guy in my dreams, going to take care of me. He's going to cure my disease. Well, it um, didn't really happen that way. Um, I went on some weird diet again and lost some weight to where I usually am. And we got engaged. And we got married in Canada. I remember going to Canada and telling the dressmaker that I will lose 10 more pounds <laughs> by the time I got married. Um, and uh, the result was uh, I gained like 
10 to 15 pounds. Uh, the dressmaker was very smart. She did not, so she kept the extra fabric and stuff, so I could still walk down the aisle, but it was, you know, it's like humil- totally demoralizing. I mean, it's my big day. I want to look my best, and yet I could not stop myself from eating my way back. Um, and then after I um, got married, I just kept wondering, why do I still turn to the refrigerator like 20 times a day? And why do I still want to, you know, like, there's a lot, it's either control or binging or obsessing about food or controlling my food. It was getting harder and harder to go with me to a restaurant because if I didn't like the food I ate, I was going to take it out on you. Um, and it started as early as breakfast because I remember my brother-in-law saying something to me over at breakfast, like it must be hard for you or something like that because there's so many items on the menu and I have the pressure to pick the perfect item on the menu. And of course, one bite later, it's probably not the perfect choice, so I feel like my life is a failure. I mean, these I don't know why my ego tells me these things, but just because I didn't pick the right breakfast food for me, my life is a failure. I have to pick something else. I have to make a scene. I have to eat another breakfast at home, and I have to make up for it, you know, the rest of the day. I mean, it just wasn't a way to live because my mind could not focus on anything else except food. And the few times that I actually focused on my dreams or my passions, and believe I have a passion for in a certain field, but I don't feel the passion in that field is ever a match for food. I mean, if I choose to be in the food, there's no way I can do anything else. I may look, walk, you know, and look like I'm doing something else, but I'm not. Um, so that, you know, that suffered too. My passion really suffered. It was, there was no passion in my, you know, whatever it was, it was just, you know, it get painful and then I go to the food again. Um, so very grateful that in 1998 I went to this Beverly Hills nutritionist and I took the weight off yet again. But it was getting really hard. I really felt like that was my last one. And um, even though I was losing weight, and she told me to like go buy a very expensive suit and put it, you know, on lay, put it on layaway to use it as motivation. That wasn't enough. Yeah, uh, you know. It, it got to the point where by the time I had dropped my 25 pounds, I was ready to see a shrink. So um, I told my husband, I'm going to see a shrink, and I'm not going back to that person. And he, I remember him, you know, he innocently asked me, well, why aren't you staying? It's working for you. You know, like, it did, you know, show up physically, but emotionally, uh, mentally, it was just a wreck. You know, I didn't know at the time that I needed spiritual help, but that's exactly what I needed. And, of course, I didn't go to see my a therapist right away. I had to binge my weight back plus more first, you know. So that's just my story. I always have to binge back plus more. So the therapist I saw led me to OA, and I'm so grateful for that. I don't think I'd be alive today. And, um, you know, it's just the longer I'm in program, and as my kids get older, I have um, two kids, and both conceived and... Um, delivered in program, which is great. Um, and as I raise them and see them grow up, every milestone they hit, it reminds me of what my life was like when I was that age. And it's very hard for me not to dwell on the negative things that happened to me at that age. And I'm, you know, um, I strive to find the positive things that happened. I mean, the positive thing that happened growing up is I didn't kill myself because I had a way out. I had food, 
You know, food kept me alive so I could have a life today. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm eternally grateful for that. Um, but I guess I came in because I just couldn't do another diet anymore. I just couldn't control my food anymore. And into the binging was, you know, was going to kill me. So, um, I'm going to go into what it, what it, uh, what happened. Okay. So I went to my first meeting, um, on a Wednesday in Palms Park. It was a writing meeting from noon to one. Um, it was close to my house. I saw some women, I think they're all women there, like seven or eight women, um, sitting on a picnic blanket and just sharing and doing some writing and then sharing the writing and they were telling my story. And um, I remember crying, you know, just crying when I got home. I don't know if I really said anything. I may have said hi, but I didn't have the courage to go to another meeting until the next Wednesday. Um, so I went another Wednesday and then, you know, slowly I realized, okay, this this is what I need. So I started to go to other meetings and then I found a sponsor. Um, you know, I feel the need to go chronologically because I really need to remember for myself what it was like because I have a disease of amnesia. And, you know, I can go just right back to the terrible stuff and then to today, but kind of forget everything I did in between the progress part, especially spiritually. Um, you know, I uh, found my first sponsor because she shared about shopping at some high-end department store. And I wanted to be able to be fit enough to shop there. So <laughs> I asked her to sponsor me, and she said yes. And um, then I started to work with her. Um, she did not eat sugar, and she wanted me to give up the sugar, although she told me at, the point, at then that she didn't eat sugar except for frozen yogurt. Didn't really understand that, but... You know, and in the end, basically a few months later, I could not not eat sugar then. You know, I tried to like, you know, and then I went to another sponsor. Um, he told me, okay, just eat it once a week. But then I became an obsession about finding the perfect dessert. But my disease is all about perfection. And if I didn't find the perfect dessert a week later, I just skip a week. Because then I could have two the next week. So basically, it became an obsession. It wasn't really working the steps. So it wasn't a spiritual way of eating. You know, and until, um, you know, eight, seven or eight, but it kept me coming back because I wanted to be my second sponsor's friend. So I did whatever she said. Um, even though at the time she was going through her own issues, so she wasn't really available, it didn't matter. You know, I was blindly following her. But I'm grateful for that because it kept me going to meetings. It kept me coming back because I don't know if I would have stayed but didn't, because it didn't work out with the first sponsor. And I would cry for months at the Hill Street meeting Saturday morning that my sponsor dropped me and stuff like that because I was so self-centered. Um, and um, so I did have abstinence but I wasn't binging and that is my bottom line. Um, but I gained some weight because the way I was eating, I was trying to stuff it all in in a few meals and... Um, before, it was much more controlled. So, um, I did take a little break to go to OA How to lose weight. And when I lost it there, I came back because it gave me... I, I just realized after trial and error with the food plans that I need one that is pretty structured and um, that um, is, is a losing food plan. That works for me. And then the rest of the time, I'm on a maintenance plan. Um, that's the best for my sanity and my serenity. Um, everybody's different, which I'm grateful for, too. Um, 
So when I came back to OA from that, I had physical recovery, but the other two was still, I was scared to come back to regular OA. I didn't like, this is my own personal story, I didn't like what they were doing in OA How. Um, so what I had to do was get into service. So I went to the Saturday morning kitchen sink meeting at 9 a.m. There were greeters, and I'm so grateful they're greeters because if there were no greeters, I probably would have left. Um, so somebody greeted me, and I stayed, and the same person came to make sure I was okay after the meeting. And I am so eternally grateful to that person, and I still remind him today um, because that kept me coming back another week. And then week after week, you know, I started to get comfortable. And then when they were asking for service positions, I took my first real service position, which was a copy person, because I still want to be connected to something that I put in my mouth in a certain way. So I became the coffee person. It wasn't a big responsibility, but I do remember kind of obsessing about what brand of coffee to buy and whether it would be perfect enough for, you know, the 100 people in that room or, you know, and then asking people, do you like the coffee? You know, this, is my, this was my way, the only way I knew to reach out to people was to ask them if they liked the coffee. That was the extent of my ability to communicate with people and to really let people in. But that was great because God gave me that service and it kept me coming back. And, um, you know, God also brought me to um, outside help who also was in this program to help me with my food. So I felt safe enough to eat a little more than I was eating before. And that's really like the whole food thing. I still have to eat it. But in the perfect world, I wouldn't have to eat a single thing because... Unless somebody told me this is the perfect way to eat, you eat that. But that's not God's path for me. God's path for me is to do the trial and error, to really take time to figure out what works for me. Because for the first 28 years, I didn't do that. I just totally abused my body. So um, it takes a long time, I think, for my body to really know what works for it. And uh, since I'm not on any kind of timetable, nobody's going to kick me out. You know, as long as I have the desire to stop eating compulsively. And I'm, you know, working the steps. It could take another 29 years. I don't mind because I'm, you know, I'm living a life now. And another thing I learned when um, coming in in the beginning is I heard somebody talk about living life in between meals. And that was like, what? You know, I could not really. It was like, oh, so that's the answer to what. And I was like, I was looking for that. Like, no wonder they have a life. I didn't have a life in between meals because it was just one meal obsessing, the next meal obsessing. So for me to have life in between meals, that is such a miracle, and I remember that every time one meal is over. And sometimes there are some meals even today, hard to end. So I use the tools, I call my sponsor to bookend it, or you know, I just say a prayer out loud or something, because before I came in, I may not have eaten, I mean, I'm a quantity binger too. I mean, to me, a portion of cabbage, the whole cabbage. You know, I mean, I can I can totally eat that still today. Um, to me, it's it was constantly grazing, obsessing, eating, opening refrigerator, closing it. You know, that so there was twenty four hours a day. There was no time left or anything else. And so I never thought I had a life. So I thought I was a fraud because on paper my life looked really good. But I knew inside there was nothing there besides my obsession and compulsion with food. So I'm really glad that 
through all you guys, I see people leading, living life on life's terms and living life in between meals. And I see people enjoying their meals, too. Like, just because I, you know, I don't binge anymore doesn't mean meals have to taste bad. Doesn't mean I can't be a foodie. You know, it just means I can't take it past the meal time. Like, if I go to a restaurant, my food's not good. It's happened since. I mean, that's 10 minutes left? Yes. Great. Um, you know, I may have to call somebody to let it go, but I move on. And that's a miracle. I would have never, I mean, you know, I would have just... I, I remember so much about what I used to eat. It's I like an encyclopedia of what I used to eat before I came in here. Um, anyway, so I'm just going to go into what it's like now. Um, I used to go to meetings almost seven days a week because my husband worked a lot and I didn't have kids and I wasn't really having a life in my quote-unquote career because, you know, before I was just too in my head to do anything. And then um, in recovery, I just realized I just couldn't do anything else without going to meetings. So I went to meetings every day or as many times as I could. Uh, now I have two children. I try to make it to the daytime meetings. Sometimes I um, can only make the one or two. But I keep using the tools the best of my ability. I hate writing because it brings up too much pain. And sometimes when I feel like if I'm with my children, I cannot... I feel I don't feel safe betraying that in front of them, like just bursting out crying, which I'm, which I'm really good at. But um, you know, if I want to protect them, but you know, God gives me a lot of time at night by myself because my husband works late, so I have time to cry, I have time to reflect, I have time to, you know, be in gratitude. All these things I need to do to just keep myself alive and to keep myself in recovery. Um, I only have less than ten minutes. I wanted to touch on. I wrote three words down that I felt I, you know, God wanted me to touch on, compassion, service, and forgiveness. So I talked to them about service already. Compassion, I mean, this year, year 12, like the first year is about finding whatever food. I used to ask a lot of people about their food plan and their abstinence. And you may not have known it, but I would put you on a pedestal, and then maybe a few months later I'd kick you off, but I would never tell you that. You know, so using a lot of people as my higher power, the collective group, to get me going. Um, the next few years are all about God because I really needed God when, you know, to be able to trust God when I'm about to have a kid. Like, I remember crying because I didn't feel and writing about and sharing with other people and program that I felt too scared to have a daughter my first go around. Because I'm a girl and the way I grew up, I did not feel like I could share anything with her. And um, God gave me a son first, but he gave me a daughter second, so obviously he believed that was okay. I could do, he only gave me what I can handle, so... You know, and it's a blessing to see her just blossom every day. You know, it's just, I'm just so in gratitude for that. And um, with the children and, you know, just seeing how life still has to go on, whether or not I'm, I'm you know, in my head or not, um, I found a lot of compassion for myself. Because I came in, and this year, I mean, especially... I've had to let go of perfectionism in every way. I mean, I think I'm, you know, got the food part. I'm letting go from the food because I know there's no such thing as a perfect food or everybody's food is perfect. Whatever way you want to see it, there's no such thing as having to forgive myself for not having perfect food or perfect anything because that's, you know, that's only in my head that that happens. So I don't have to forgive myself for anything that's not, in, you know, in real life. Um, but I also have to 
you know, the lack of compassion I give myself sometimes is scary when I realize it because that is not the way I want to interact with the rest of the world. Um, this year in particular, I felt like, you know, the my lifelong dream of always saying the perfect, per, perfect thing, um, you know, just didn't work. I would say things I would have to later apologize for. Um, you know, I just felt myself being more and more human, I guess, for lack of a better word, because I used to think, well, you know, I can accept my food today and that God has my food covered, but everything that comes out of my mouth has to be perfect. And um, the way I treat my children, everything has to be perfect. The way I talk to my husband, everything has to be perfect. And when it's not, I get the whip out right away. Like, the whip is always there. I mean, I do believe my higher power can sit on my shoulder, and when I'm willing, jumps in to help me. But the other side has a whip, because that's my own whip, my ego. And um, I never knew how serious these character defects were until I started working with sponsees on them, and thank goodness for sponsors and sponsees. Um, it just made me realize I had a sponsee telling me her character defects. I'm like, oh my God, I have the exact same ones. And, um, yeah, as this, mine are so unique. Um, and that my perfectionism one is still something I hold on to because I cannot imagine life without the whip on myself. I really can't. And I need to be honest about that because if I'm in denial about that, the pattern will just continue. Because my ego has a way of lying to me, of telling me that this is the way to do it. You know, all Chinese people do that, so you better do it. You know, all that kind of stupid uh, reasoning that I know... It's not the love and compassion that Owe has taught me. You know, I mean, I thought I was very compassionate. I grew up Buddhist. I have a lot of compassion. I like to help people. I feel bad for, you know, kids. I have a hard time with kids being mistreated in all ways, and I let go of that on a daily basis. But when it came to myself, it was like the compassion is almost zero. And... Um, this year, it was a lot of acceptance of that because I had to, you know, accept that first and then be willing to change it. I don't even know I'm doing it, but that's what I do. So even more so than the food because if this kind of emotional torture happens, of course I'm going to go back to binging. There's no other way. That's the way I was born to deal with things. But since I have God and I have program, have all you guys, I make the conscious choice to live a life in recovery instead of diet compulsive overeating death. And I think I'd like to end there. Thank you for letting me share. Oh, uh, time for questions. Um, thank you for your question. Um, I grew up... Oh, I'll repeat the question. Has my concept of God... I came in already with a higher power. Has my concept of God changed um, since I came into program? Uh, yes. Um, um, 
you know, I came in knowing I was Buddhist, but and I would pray at temples all the time to help me lose weight, but I never prayed to be to be relieved of the obsession of compulsive overeating because I didn't even knew that that was what it was about, or maybe I didn't want to be. I just wanted to be thin, but to eat the way I wanted to eat. Um, and maybe I didn't. Maybe I felt so like not even trusting that God could help me, that I didn't want to voice that out loud. I, sometimes I have that feeling like if I say something out loud and there's no solution, I'm going to die. You know, so um, that's probably why I never um, learned that it's okay to ask God for help with my compulsive overeating until I got here. And I'm still Buddhist. I, uh, I talk, I use the term HP and God because it's easier. Because um, I could pray to a lot of different deities depending on what I'm doing in my meditation practice but in the end it's just not me somewhere up there so I find myself just looking up a lot when I feel like I can't handle things and um, I will not mind be done is a big one for me God help me at the birthday party I bought this keychain that says trust God you know so I'm constantly reminded that I'm not supposed to be the one who has all the answers and that is such a big relief I think that's one of the reasons why I was uh, in such uh, torment, because I, I always thought I needed to know all the answers, and I don't. Thank you. Thank you very much. Do you have a particular bit of uh, insight about perfection or something you do or something someone told you to help you when you're in the midst of whipping yourself with the perfectionist? Um... So do I have something or someone said that can help me with perfection when I feel like I'm in the middle of the whip? Okay. Um, thank you. Um, I always have to bring it back to God because in my defective head, I heard that term today, it's not broken, it's, just, it's defective, so it's not going to get any better. Um, I can't fix it. Um, my defective head says, okay, you weren't that perfect, so let's get out the whip. If I bring God into it, the whip goes away. And I, God help me, that will not mind be done. Just looking up sometimes helps. Um, if I can say a prayer or get down on my knees, that helps too. But like uh, this past week, just driving down you know, a street or on the freeway, the whip comes out a lot and then God puts it back. So I don't really have to... Um, I can kind of do it more on autopilot um, because I practice a lot. That is just the extent of how many times my whip comes out a day. I have so much time to practice because it keeps coming out. So, um, you know, I'll just ask God to put it back. Ask God to put it back because I can't do it myself. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. I got a lot of good information. I feel like maybe I'm the only one that doesn't know this, but what is the way out? Yeah, take the time to... Yeah. yeah, okay. OA How is an offshoot program of OA. It is part of OA, but their abstinence depends on you following a specific food plan. Yeah, and you can learn more about that on our website. Thank you. Is any more questions? Okay, um, the question is what I do for meditation, what the process is like. Um, it's a little embarrassing, but um, I have a very, very hard time meditating on my own. So I join an outside group that meets uh, every Sunday. 
Um, meditation is very painful for me. Prayer is very comforting. But I feel like when I, I'm still at the place, I'm pretty young in program, so um, I'm still at that place where if I sit with myself, the first things that come to me are still too painful for me. Um, the good thing is I, I read on acceptance all the time for the past you know, 12 years to somebody else on the phone, so if I believe what I'm saying, you know, nothing happens in God's will by mistake, just God's time. You know, when I'm ready, I'll be able to meditate by myself. So for now, I meditate with other people. I'm able to calm down and um, brings me closer to my higher power. Um, so this meditating by myself part, you know, I'm not, I'm not really getting that yet. And believe me, I've been talking to my sponsor, I think, for three years about it. Um, and then I stopped talking about it because I'm just not there yet. Um, but I feel that um, what I don't have in meditation right now, I make up for through prayer because I'm really comfortable praying and I'm really comfortable praying, you know, as many times a day as I need to. Thank you. Oh. Hi, Jane. Thank you. Um, how do you deal with sugar and desserts now? Um, thank you. How do I deal with sugar and desserts now? When I went back to um, regular OA, um, I heard more at that particular meeting of people eating all foods in moderation. And it really um, struck me as that was God's will for me. That doesn't mean I eat sugar all the time. It doesn't mean I eat most foods all the time. I don't, actually. But um, the fact that nobody's going to come up with a whip again, because I will, if I eat anything that has a little sugar in it, or that, you know, that doesn't feel like super, super, whatever, clean, healthy food. Um... You know, I cannot have that because that just gives my my ego license to whip, basically. You know, like it's just all the time. Like, how, why do you, I mean, to me, I feel like we have so many food choices. Nobody's telling, um, you know, people in AA that you have to go have, you can only have a certain brand of vodka. You can only, you know, like, to, to me, my disease can beat me up, up for any food choice I make because there are tons of other choices. And I really have to do, like, you know, just daily asking God to guide me to the foods that work for me. I mean, um, and, you know, if I find out they don't, you know, God has given me the ability to throw away a dessert if, it, if after a bite it doesn't taste good. I would never have been able to do that by myself. And I don't guarantee that the next time I will. But usually when I eat certain foods I'm not used to eating, I bring in a lot of um, God help. And I talk to talk it over with other people, and um, you know, so my afternoon no binging. I can, you know, my I'm not going to lose my afternoon if I eat any food that quote unquote I'm not supposed to because there's nothing I'm not supposed to eat. But my food plan varies, and um, depending on my spiritual condition or my pregnancy or not, um, I work with my sponsor with outside help on that. And you know, program gives me the willingness to follow a food plan. I would never be able to follow any plan past eight weeks or, you know, by the time I came in here, I was done with diets. So to me, that's the main difference between a food plan and a diet. It's definitely not a diet. And this program is definitely not a diet. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.